So this afternoon, we would like to introduce second of the heart qualities, and that's the quality of compassion. The quality of the heart, when we turn towards, when we feel, when we encounter, when we experience the pain or distress or difficulty of ourselves or someone else, the response of that heart is a movement, is a tenderness, is a quivering. It's a feeling of concern, of empathy, of wishing to relieve our own suffering, the pain of another. It's one of the more beautiful qualities that we can develop as human beings and we can develop on the path. And it's something that arises out of the meta practice, arises out of the way that we fan the embers of the heart and also arises out of our ability or our willingness to turn towards difficulty, to turn towards ourselves or others when, when we are in pain, when we're in distress. So it was interesting meeting with you in groups today because there was plenty of suffering. You may have noticed that. <laughs> difficulty, anxiety, fear, loneliness, the pain that we carry from our lives, some of you carrying very painful loss and grief and distress, or more existential stuff, angst, what am I doing here, what am I doing with my life, who am I, how did I get here, I'm 40 or 60 and what happened, this is not where I wanted to be. Uh, a good friend of mine um, was where she she'd uh, longed for a long time to have a baby, and so she eventually met her partner and had a baby. And she was lying down in the park in San Francisco with her 11-month-year-old, and a truck came and ran her over, killed her. And then it turns out that the driver of the truck had also just lost his daughter through a car accident. And so the chain of suffering continues. So we never know what and where and how suffering is going to come. Sometimes from very old places in ourselves. So some people were talking today about just the wounds, the, the scars that we carry from the way we were treated as infants, as children. Sometimes it comes from more recent circumstances. But whatever it is, life is asking us, and this practice asks of us, can we be kind? Can we meet this? Can we meet ourselves with kindness, with love? It's the only appropriate response loving, compassionate presence. Which is why that we talk about and turn our attention to these qualities. Because they're not, as beautiful as they are, they're not necessarily always available. When your knees start screaming at you, or that long-held feeling of sadness or loneliness comes, usually the first response isn't, oh, that's painful. Oh, I'm so sorry that, that that back pain is back. Oh, I feel for your suffering. No, it's like, oh God, oh, I hate that. I'm sick of feeling sad. I hate being lonely. Get over myself. What's your problem? You know, and we layer it with what the Buddha called the second arrow, the second dot of suffering. We judge ourselves. We belittle ourselves. We... Uh, speak to ourselves quite cruelly and we reject ourselves and, and our experience and our pain, which of course shuts down the heart and nothing gets resolved, nothing heals. There's a phrase that goes, be kind to every person you meet because each has been asked to carry a great burden. Because each has been asked to carry a great burden. So someone said in the group, you would never know there was so much stuff going on looking around the room. Everyone looks 
pretty happy and well-fed and relaxed and, right? And you just think, oh, everybody's just kind of swimming along, you know, in bliss, and I'm the only one who's just struggling and hating everything. But then you scratch beneath the surface, you see, oh, we're all carrying burdens. Every one of us, if you dig a little or a lot, there's burdens, there's pain, there's suffering, there's losses, there's disappointments. That's part of being human. It's what connects us, is is why uh, suffering is so uh, connecting, is because we tap into the universal part of our experience. We all know this in different ways, different stories, different facets of that suffering, but we all have that as our common commonality. And it's also what causes us to grow, right? Suffering is transformative. It, it impresses upon us. It demands that we find a positive or creative relationship to it. Otherwise, we just keep reenacting and deeping a digger trench of sorrow. It forces us to come on retreat. It forces us to meditate. It forces us into therapy. It forces us to, to look and try and heal. And in that healing often comes um, very profound and beautiful fruits and blessings that we never would have thought possible. Rumi said, keep your eye on the bandaged places, that's where the light enters you. Keep your eye on the bandaged places, that's where the light enters you. So it's often when we're broken, we feel broken and ripped apart and at our limit, that we there's some we see some possibility, some ray of light, something. Uh, sometimes it's from when we hit bottom that we see some other way is possible. I remember when I was on a long retreat at IMS, and I've told this story a lot, and I won't tell it right now. Just give the outline. But I was on a long retreat. It was a three-month course, and. Uh, encountered some very deep layers of suffering, some trauma, uh, some early pre-verbal trauma that I hadn't been aware of one iota prior to that, and it completely knocked me sideways. I had a really painful two months of the last three months of that retreat, Um, and I was kind of flattened, literally and metaphorically, and um, I couldn't practice, I couldn't do the sitting, I couldn't do the walk. I was just, I was really, really just in such a lot of distress but what, what was the only thing that, that was present was awareness and compassion. That somehow the fruit of my practice, which I might have said, well, it wasn't that much, it wasn't that great after all, but the fruit of the practice was, all I was able to do was at least be with that experience of trauma with tenderness, which is really the, the, the quality of compassion. So, and, that, and since that, you know, as, as these traumatic things can do, they break our hearts open and sometimes we need some kind of eruption like that to really open the heart and that was true for me and, and my life has become, has, has did, been on a very different trajectory since that because my heart really did open to my own suffering and therefore of course other people's, humbling as that is. The good news is compassion is innate, just like all these qualities we're teaching. They're not something other, they're not something that we add on to ourselves. We all know how to be caring, we all know how to be kind. We've all been loving and tender and compassionate with ourselves and each other at times. And obviously there's, for most of us, there's a lot, there's a lot of room to grow. But we have them innate within us. You know, if someone falls in front of you, you're probably bending down to help them before you even think about it. It's just... That's how we're hardwired, and some great research being done on children's innate capacity to care. And then we start getting all these ideas and concepts about four and five, and that starts withdrawing. But it, it's innate prior to that. There's a, there's a funny story. There's a, some professor organized a competition about to find the most compassionate child, which I think is oxymoronic because they're all compassionate in my book. And um, so anyhow, the, the, the winner of the prize was this little boy who, um, the story goes, um, he was uh, living next door to an elderly couple and the uh, partner of the man had just died, a lifelong partner, so obviously we were very sad and bereft and uh, the, the little boy went past the house 
uh, with his mom and saw the old man on the porch and the little boy ran up to him and to say hello and, and he crawled on his lap and sat there for a while and then eventually got off his lap and came back to his mom and, and his mom said, oh, what did you say to him? And, and he said, oh, I said nothing, I just helped him cry. Just helped him cry. Sometimes we know innately what's needed, which is to feel and to grieve. So I ask of you that same question, how do you meet your own suffering? How do you meet your difficulty? How do you meet the pain of ones you love or strangers? How do you meet the pain of people you don't like? How do you meet the pain of your enemies? Do you, are you happy when they suffer? Or can you feel, wow, I, even though I don't like this person, they too, like me, want to be happy? Does it make me happy that they're suffering? This is from the far side. So Gary Larson, the Dharma teacher. So we're in Satan, we're in hell, and Satan is shouting to his mom, who's also down there with, in, in hell with him, and he's, and he's shouting, Mom, no, no, it's not how we do it down here. And on the caption underneath it says, despite his repeated efforts to explain things to her, Satan could never persuade his mother from offering cookies and milk to the accursed. And she's there with a the little tray and the milk and the cookies and the little tail and horns and, Mom, no! <laughs> so sometimes we can't help ourselves. It's, it's an unstoppable force. And we also, uh, there are ways to cultivate and practice it. So why we have compassion practices. So different ways to cultivate and practice compassion. This innate response to suffering, the quivering of the heart. So the first is, as we're uh, we're developing mindful awareness, compassion can imbue and flavor the quality of presence. And for me, really, that's my intention for my life and how I live moment to moment is, can I live in this moment? Can I meet this moment with awareness and kindness? As I said, I mentioned that quote the other, the other day, kindness and awareness are the, 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 the same, the flowering from the same root. Can we live with a kind presence? Can our mindfulness be imbued with a care, with a tenderness, with a carefulness, with a warmth? So when pain arises in our body or our heart or our mind or we see someone or we hear or we feel someone suffering, there's just an, a natural warmth, there's a natural caring. You know? not, it's, not, it's not a huge thing, it's just, a, it's just a, a scent of leaning towards rather than leaning away from. So I remember being out here on retreat sometime and I came across this little baby, baby mouse it was like, I don't know, a few days old, and it was obviously somehow falling out of the nest or crawling out of the nest. And it's just a teeny little pink thing, no skin, no, no, um, no fur, and just like, yeah, you know, and, that, and it's like, how can you not meet that? It just, it just pulls forth in that, in that moment. Awareness is flavored, imbued with, with, with kindness or with tenderness. And then the second way that compassion arises is in the meta practice itself. So you're wishing meta for yourself, uh, let's say, and you know, and you're saying the phrases, and, and you come across that that hard knot in the heart that just doesn't want to do it, that just feels such a lot of vitriolic hatred or self rejection, and you and you and you and instead of aligning with that or aligning with the critic about how bad you are, no, not enough you are. You feel the pain of that, and in that moment, your your phrases of metta turn to phrases of compassion. And so the phrases, in, in that moment, sometimes when we're really feeling a lot of pain or sorrow, it doesn't, to say, may I be well, may I be happy, just feels like, mm, that's just a mismatch. I'm freaking suffering here, and you know, happiness is like a different universe. And so in that moment, what I often do is I'll just shift the phrase and I'll bring in a compassion phrase. May I be free of suffering. May I be free of this pain. May I hold my suffering with ease. May I hold this distress with kindness. Right? So there's, a, there's, a, there's an attunement, there's a subtle shifting 
you know, and then maybe the pain eases and I go back to my meta practice. Um, or I'm doing meta for a friend and then the phrases are flowing and then I remember, oh yeah, but they're really in distress and I feel that suffering and, then I, and, I, and again I'll slightly adjust the phrase or may you be free of that distress, may you be kind to yourself in that suffering. And then the third is to, is to do a whole meditation, more formal practice of compassion where very similar to the meta practice where we begin with ourselves and then wish develop compassion for a friend who's suffering, for a neutral person who's suffering, uh, a difficult person who's suffering. So we're wishing them to be free of their pain and then we, we, we extend that to all life, all creatures who are suffering, all endangered species who are suffering, all people in prisons who are suffering, all people who are having mental illness, may they be free of pain, all those in experiencing famine or war and justice. May they be free of suffering. So we extend it outwards like that. The phrases that I use are, um, uh, I, I've broken it down into, th- into sort of three kinds of phrases. Uh, the first, to me, express my relationship to the person. And so I say something like, I care about you, or I care that you're suffering. You're, you're, your suffering matters to me. So you're expressing your, your feeling about the relationship. I care about you is a simple way of putting it. And then the wish, which is like the metaphrase, may you, may you be free of suffering, may you be free of distress, may you be, uh, may you be free of pain and sorrow, may you, so whatever, either a more generic phrase or a more specific phrase that speaks to the kind of suffering the person is going through, may you be free of loneliness, may you be free of self-hatred. And the last one I think of as a wisdom phrase, which is sometimes, um, you know, maybe you're wishing uh, your friend to be free of suffering, even though they have, as I just heard, someone uh, I know who's got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer that spread to most major systems in the body. And it's very painful. And so it's unlikely that person is going to be free of pain. So I may say, so the wisdom statement is, may you hold your suffering with ease. May you hold this pain with grace, with tenderness. Right? So you're not wishing it away, but may you hold it with ease. Right. So there's the relationship, I care about you, I care about your suffering. There's the wish, may you be free of suffering. And then the last one, um, may you hold it, may you, may you find a way to have ease in the midst of it. Compassion is not about getting rid of suffering, not about getting rid of pain, it's about meeting pain with kindness. It's not about fixing, it's not about controlling. It's about being with, bearing witness in a very profound way. So you will have these sheets with various kinds of compassion phrases. Um, I will say a few of my own as I'm guiding you through the practice. And of course, feel free to um, adjust the phrases uh, that, that suit you. Sometimes just one phrase, may you be free of pain and suffering, that's more the, I'd say, traditional phrase. Um, and then you can add different phrases that, that speak to you, that bring this quality alive. So let's uh, sit together. So sitting with as much ease as you can, as much kindness towards the body. And then bring your awareness to your heart center. So feeling your heart, the breath, and the chest.
and then we'll begin to be we'll begin by generating compassion for ourselves. And so you may take a moment, you may not have to look very far, to just attune to whatever pain or suffering that's here right now, or that's been recently present, the suffering that you know that you go through, maybe physical suffering, mental suffering, emotional suffering, existential, Maybe your life circumstances are very challenging. So you're just holding that general sense of your own difficulty or struggle. Maybe present time, maybe from an earlier time in your life, maybe even as a child, the suffering you experience as a child. And then with a warm heart, having these phrases arise from the heart, May I be free of pain and suffering. May I be free of pain and suffering. May I hold my suffering with ease, with kindness. May I hold my pain with ease, with tenderness. You might begin with that expression of care. I care about you, I care about myself. I care that I'm suffering. May I be free of pain and struggle. May I hold my pain, may I hold myself with kindness, with ease. And you may choose to put your hand on your heart as you say the phrases, and really the phrases are like a balm on the heart. So in your own time, using the phrases I just suggested, or your own. Saying the phrases slowly. Sometimes I'll say my phrases in rhythm with the breath. And let each, the meaning of each phrase, really let it land in your body. I care about you, feel that sense of care. Feel the wish, may you be free, may I be free of sorrow and pain. May I hold my pain with ease, with kindness.
And now calling to mind or into your heart, someone you know, someone you love, good friend, someone dear to you, who's right now struggling, suffering, going through some difficulty, pain, physical pain, emotional challenges, relationship, life challenges. Who knows hurting? So just take a moment to turn towards this person, to welcome them into your heart. And to take a moment to feel their pain, feel their distress. Compassion, compassion, to suffer with, to feel with another their pain. Notice if there's any fear or resistance to doing that. Awareness and equanimity allow us to hold the difficulty of another without drowning in it. If you feel like you're drowning, you can always take a little space, come back to yourself a little bit, but as a way of standing firm, steady with someone's difficulty, feeling their pain, and then allowing your phrases, again, to come from your heart. I care about you. I care that you're suffering. May you be free of pain. May you hold yourself, hold your struggle with ease, with kindness. for you. May you be free of suffering. May you hold your pain with kindness, tenderness.
And now at this point, I'm going to give you a choice point to invite someone else into your heart, either another person you know that you care about who's suffering, or to choose someone with whom you also have some difficulty with. The person is not so easy for you, but you also know that they're suffering, they're in distress, they're pain. Perhaps the very reason you're in having difficulty or conflict with the person is because of the very suffering that they're experiencing. So it's a way that we learn to ex- expand our capacity to keep our heart open. So either calling to another person to mind that you know, who you care about a lot who's suffering, or someone you're in conflict with, taking a moment to feel into, to resonate with, yes, this too, this person just like me is, is in suffering, is painful, is difficult, struggling in their lives. Letting that in. May you too be free from pain and suffering. May you hold yourself, your difficulty with ease, with kindness. May your suffering be eased.
And then expanding this wish to relieve the suffering of others outwards, beginning with everybody in this room, people you know, people you don't know, care about you. I care that you're suffering. May you be free of pain and sorrow. May you hold your suffering with ease and kindness. And then expanding outwards in whichever way helps you connect with and sense this rippling quality outwards to large, larger and larger fields of people, of creatures, perhaps beginning with all animals, all creatures, all endangered species all factory farm animals. May you too be free of suffering. All those imprisoned who are sick, all those who are dying. who are oppressed and exploited. living in fear. And gradually outwards to all beings, all life, everywhere. Life be free from pain and suffering. May all beings hold their suffering with ease. with a poem I wrote that's in the vein of compassion. Your only duty is not to run, 
even if the whole of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day stripped bare. You can always pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing and makes the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there's no choice but to turn towards where you are, to touch the empty places inside you've spent a lifetime running from, touching with delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fallen to the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has been waiting, that is always right here. So that's uh, one way of practicing compassion meditation. As I said, feel free to weave this quality into your day, weave the phrases into your day, weave the attitude as you're walking, sitting, doing your work meditation, resting, noticing someone who's crying in the hall, remembering friends, loved ones who are suffering. We don't have to look very far to touch pain, to touch sorrow. And so remembering, particularly with ourselves, because so many different places of struggle we have in ourselves and it becomes more apparent on retreat because there's no escape, there's no distraction. So to really remember to be tender and kind with all the difficult places that you might meet. And in that way we become more fearless because the more we're able to do that, for ourselves, and of course, we're able to give that gift to others when we encounter their distress. So, any questions about that practice, about compassion, about taking it into your day? Anything that came up for you? Comments, observations, <coughs> difficulties? Yes. Could you say more about what it means to hold it with ease, hold the suffering with ease? Mm-hmm. How to hold this, what does it mean to hold the suffering with ease? Um, it means that, and this particularly pertains to when there's something that, say, particularly with ourselves, where we can't just let it go. We can't drop it, we can't get rid of it. It's around, whether it might be chronic pain, it might be just an, an ongoing emotional issue that's just has its own course to play out. And so the, the, the instruction is to, uh, can I turn towards it, can I hold it with a sense of lightness or spaciousness or kindness, um, rather than struggle or resistance or begrudging or complaining? Can I, can I find that place? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I've, I've go through periodic uh, bouts of chronic pain and there's nothing I can do about it. And so can I soften into it? That's more what it is. Can I find that place of, oh yeah, here it is. I don't like it, but the softening helps the pain be more bearable. Yes. So wh- wh- where's the place you're getting stuck? Well, uh, your suggestion to be at ease, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, of course. Most of the suffering in the world we can't do much about. Yes. We can always work with our perception. We can always work with our response. Um, and uh, a couple of things come to mind. Um, a few things come to mind. Uh, one, one is, um, one of them just slipped out the back door, so I can, I'm not going to speak to that one because that's already gone. Uh, <laughs> the, oh, it's come back, that's good. <laughs> the heart, the heart wishes life to be well and safe and happy. It's just what the heart does. It's just its nature. Even though we know that life's not like that. Life is, in, 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 in this particular, in this human world, it's full of suffering and conflict and oppression and racism and strife and struggle. Yet the heart wishes well. So it, it's paradoxical. So we're actually, the, if, from a logical point of view, the meta-compassion practice doesn't make sense. May all beings be happy. Well, half of these beings have to eat these other beings to be happy because they need it to, to survive, right? But still, we want the tiger and the gazelle to be well and happy and safe. The, that's the heart's wish. And we know one is going to eventually eat the other. So it's partly we're living with that paradox. Living that there is oppression and there is suffering and it's going to continue, most likely, at least in our lifetimes. And yet we still wish others to be well. So it's, it's like, so this is where, and we'll talk more about equanimity on Saturday, um, where we have this wish and it's out of our control, and yet we still have that wish. Is that, is that speaking to what you're... Sp- yeah. There's this beautiful example of this. I was teaching a course at uh, our sister center, uh, Insight Meditation Society, and this woman kept struggling with this question, how can you wish all beings to be wild? There's, you know, they, beings killing each other and eating each other, and, and I don't understand what to do. And she was walking down, this, down the road it was a snowy day, and she saw this fluttering of feathers coming down from a tree, and there was a hawk eating a chickadee, a small bird, like a sparrow. And she, and she felt that moment she wanted both birds to be, to be well, and one's eating the other. You know? But the heart can hold that. The mind actually has struggles with that capacity, but the, the heart can hold it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel someone suffering without falling into the trap of suffering with them? Well, you might suffer with them. You might feel some resonance of their pain. If, if, a, if a beloved friend of mine is hurting, I'm going to feel something, and that's okay. I don't, I'm, I'm not opposed to feeling something. I'm feeling my response to them, but I might also be feeling, you know, when I heard about the loss of my friend and my friend telling me about it who was very distressed. And I'm feeling that. And it's okay to suffer with. We do partly resonate. There's some vibration. There's some knowing of that in our experience. So there's some almost transmitting of that. Um, The equanimity is partly what helps from drowning in the sorrow, being overwhelmed by it. Um, But I think it's also important not to be afraid of feeling. You know, if you know if someone I love is grieving, I'm going to feel something. I'm going to feel my heart quivering in tenderness, and I'm also probably going to remember the times that I've grieved. And that's okay. But it's also where where the, where the wisdom equanimity factor comes in is we we're also clear about the distinction of whose whose grief is whose, right? So, and it's not you know human beings are not. Human beings are messy, right? This is all messy, right? We talk about oh, compassion over here and matters over here, and it's in these little boxes. It's, it's not like that. It's all, it's you know, the heart is is 
connection. And so it's, it's diffuse. It's not so linear and black and white and so sort of rigid and like that, that way. It's, it's, it's of a, it ebbs and flows. So we will have some quality of that. And um, we can use discernment and mindfulness to also stay grounded in our own experience and to, and to see, you know, to recognize this isn't, this is not happening to me. This is my other, this is my friend's grief. And we go in and out of perhaps feeling it more or less, partly depending on what gets triggered in ourselves. Okay, so, um, okay. A couple more minutes, I've been told. Take a couple more minutes. Uh, a question, yes, please. One of the things I struggle with when I'm wishing other people well in these practices is I feel like I'm, I get wrapped up in how I want them to change. Mm. So I find that if I say, you know, like, may you be well or may you be free from suffering, I'm sort of feeling like, stop suffering. You know, I, don't <laughs> I find myself getting frustrated with them. And I'm like, you need to come on earth. <laughs> Did everybody hear that? Yeah. So this idea of you know wishing someone to be free of suffering, but like demanding that they be suffering and come on already, and it's called compassion with an edge. <laughs> compassion with an agenda, you know, and it's you know, which is different than the heart. The, the, and it's you know, that's it's really the near enemy of of compassion is demanding, expecting, wanting something to happen, someone something back, something. Some seeing some result, it's controlling. Um, so just recognize it. Just recognize it's actually coming from probably coming from love, maybe a little bit of control, but mostly love. Like you, you know, of course we want the stuff suffering to stop, and it's also where we where we bring the equanimity. You know, all these all these qualities: love, compassion, joy, equanimity. They they they're of a piece, and we need to remember that as much as I want you to be free of suffering, it's not up to me. And you may be suffering the rest of your life. And if you're human, human, you probably will be up and down. You know, and I still wish the best for you. So it's it's holding both. Again, it's this paradoxical wishing, and we let go. To it's not up to us. It's up to really that person's actions. And yes. Yeah, how to know when it's time to shift focusing from the suffering to something less suffering, something more joyful or in the middle. Um, <clears throat> you know, I just think we have to track that for ourselves. If, if, our, if, our mind, you know, if our mind state continues to feel more and more pulled down, more and more bleak and despairing, and we feel gloomy and everything's depressing and sucks and, you know... Then it's like, oh, hello! I'm 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 out of balance here. I mean, I need to. That's why the the joy practice, which we'll do tomorrow, is is part of this piece because we both are true and we need both. We can't just focus on the suffering because it's it's it wears us down. We also need to see, as I was telling many people today in the groups, in the suffering and this pain, this sorrow, and look out the window. Right now, look everybody, look out the window. It's a beautiful autumnal day. That is also true. There is life, you know, just as much as the, the planet's being destroyed, there's also life and regeneration and beauty. Right? Both are true. We need to hold both. And sometimes we veer more to one side to the other, but ultimately we need a balance of both to stay grounded and centered. And actually, when we allow ourselves to take in the joy and the beauty and the love and that things that are expansive and uplifting. It allows, it gives us more capacity to be with the difficult when it arises. So it's not it's an escape, it's actually support each other. Both are useful. So we'll do some cultivating of appreciative joy and joy practice tomorrow, just in case you're feeling too, too weighed down by the <laughs> sorrow. Okay, so uh, maybe I'll take one last one, then we'll...
Yeah, so the question's about, so there's, there's two sides of the coin. So if we're thinking about oppressed people or factory farm animals, there's the, the people on the other side of the equation, as in people, the oppressors and the, the factory farm owners and whatnot. The, the point of these practices is to develop a boundless heart that can actually hold both. So we're not excluding anyone or any being. And uh, with the heart developed in its full potential can hold, can hold, can feel compassion for the oppressor and the oppressed because both are suffering. Someone who's oppressing has probably been oppressed and is passing it on or has some, some gone through some distortion that to oppress another being is okay. They're both suffering. You may say one is much more suffering than the other, but they're all suffering. And so the heart, again, wishes all to be free of suffering. Yeah. That's, that's the, the capacity or the ideal. So um, in terms of our practice here on the retreat, you know, we're introducing different practices. We began with mindfulness practice. Um, we were teaching and doing metta practice yesterday and today, and now we're including compassion practice. And they're all of a piece. They're all both, as I said, they're, they're qualities, they're flavors of the heart, and different practices will be useful at different times. And so partly we're, we're um, inviting you as to be um, mature in your own practice and to decide and discern well, what's most appropriate in this moment. So some of you may say, you know, I'm mostly doing mindfulness practice here, and I'm just bringing in the flavor of metta, the flavor of kindness, as and when it's needed a little at the end, or just as I'm moving through the day. Some of you may be really needing the meta practice or wanting to explore that deeply, and so that's your main practice, but not forgetting that it's supported by mindfulness and that it turns to compassion when you meet suffering. And some of you may want to explore a little more the compassion practice because that's really speaking to you. So we're developing the flavors of the heart here. Okay, so now it's time for walking. And anything we say here in the sitting applies to the walking. So you could also weave in compassion phrase or metaphrase as you're walking and when you're sitting at dinner and whatnot. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.